I think you're live, man. Yes. And we are live. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Industry 4.0 community live stream. And uh, we have Walker Reynolds today and Vaughn Turner. What's up, guys? And really quick, a quick, uh, quick update here. I want to share my screen. This, what you're looking at right here is the analytics of our last week's live stream. And I wanted to bring it to your attention that we know that 26% of you guys watching right now are not subscribed. So I wanted to bring your attention right below this video. There's a button to subscribe and turn on notifications because we go live every week and you want to be notified. So uh, that way you always find the link and you can join in right when we go live. And I'm going to not waste any time because we only have an hour today to answer your questions. I'm going to kick it over to Walker Reynolds. Thanks, guys. Good afternoon, Chris. How's it going, man? Chris is the first one to say good afternoon to everybody. Uh, How is everyone doing uh, this week? Uh, we, so a couple of things you guys may have noticed. Um, we moved uh, that we moved the weekly Q&A to Tuesday because we saw that it was easier for people to attend the Tuesday session than the Monday afternoon session. So it's one thing uh, that we uh, want to update. The other thing, the studio's coming together. So you guys may not know this, but, or you can't see it, but uh, so we added the, the screen back there. Number two tries harder. There you go, Dan. Um, so that is uh, some factory studio uh, and on dashboards running back there for some of the content that we're shooting. Um, we're actually going to add another, another screen probably over there. Uh, and we're going to update this camera so that it, it, uh, it's a little clearer. Uh, studios come along. We added in the light board on the other side. So the other side of here is the studio and, uh, the light board has been added in and stuff. So Zach and I were just talking about, he's going to come out and do, we're going to shoot live content, do whiteboard videos again. Um, now that it's easier to get tested and get, you can travel and then um, get tested and everything will you can work together and not get anybody sick. What's up, Omar? Omar Ahmed. All right. Um, let yeah, me. Which, uh, which brings up a good point, guys. Leave us not only your questions, but leave us your suggestions for future video topics that you want to see in detail on the light board. Awesome. Um, all right. I'm going to share my screen. We do have just a one hour window today, so it will be a hard stop. Um, so some updates, um, you guys may have noticed that the YouTube channel got changed. We just added the 4.0 solutions logo and, um, we should have done it a long time ago. We just didn't. So it got taken care of this week. So if you still search for IntelliC integration, it'll come up. Um, but it 4.0 solutions is the one is technically the company that's actually doing all this content. Um, we weren't very disciplined in using 4.0 versus IntelliC, but we're being more and more disciplined about it. So um, another thing is, is I'm, um, I'm no longer the president of IntelliC integration. So I'm, I still am the chairman of the board and the chief executive officer of the company. And, uh, but I'm, I'm no longer the president. I'm, I'm not involved in day-to-day -day operations uh, of the company. Um, I attend the board meetings and, I vote on major decisions, but uh, my foot, I've switched over to 4.0 solutions. Um, all my efforts are here, um, developing products and doing education and outreach. So, um, the, uh, so those of you who are clients that work with us and stuff, uh, 
I still have my Intellic email and all that jazz, but I, um, my, my focus here is on, on Fork Solutions. So my email at, at uh, now is walker at 4.0solutions.com. It has been for a few years, but no, never used it. Never really used it. Um, YouTube channels changed at 4.0 Solutions. We're at 880 members of the Discord server. That's pretty awesome. Uh, big announcement, obviously, Frameworks University. The Frameworks launch event is the day after tomorrow, Thursday uh, at 8 a.m. They're doing a two-hour um, launch event for Frameworks University. That's Tatsoft's Factory Studio, Frameworks University. Uh, the version 9.1 release announcement um, is Thursday. So Tatsoft is going to be presenting, I think, for like 30 minutes during that session. I'm going to do a one-hour um, keynote, Industry 4.0 keynote address, um, and uh, be presenting on the state of industry, the state of Industry 4.0, things we observed in the last year, um, and all of that's going to be centered through the prism of how uh, the events of the last year have really accelerated digital transformation for a lot of organizations. Um, uh, enterprise mentorship, Zach and Vaughn are still, uh, for you guys don't know, the right now mentorship, mentorship was really designed for like the individual, like the individual is going to join mentorship and go through our training. But now there's, there's really seems to be a very high demand for individual enterprises, individual organizations want all of their engineers to go through mentorship. So enterprise mentorship is all about putting in the workflow so we can make that a reality. You can have just one organization signs up and all of their engineers can log in and, and go through the training. Um, and Zach and Vaughn are working on that. One of the ideas that we had for that, and I want to get your guys' feedback, was that anyone in our mastermind group would be like the systems architect or the owner of a system integrator, that by joining the mastermind group, you, you get your engineers part of the enterprise mentorship program. So if, you, if something like that makes sense, we're looking for you guys of what, what you guys are interested in. Hey, uh, David, uh, David Schultz, Michael Dabell, uh, Omar, uh, Mario, Anthony Lincoln. Good to see you here, man. Uh, Liam Romano. Um, yeah. So enterprise mentorship, uh, Zach, when do you think you guys are going to have that all worked out? All the details done. So I think we're, we're looking at, wanting to have it done by the time we do our next mastermind class. We want to have the details worked out by then. Okay. So cool. I, we're still working on UNS gateway beta signups um, and MES 4.0 beta signups. It's moved down the priority list, um, but the, it's still there. Still, we'll still have it by the end of the month. A uh, couple of shout outs specific to discord. So John Sindrich and John McKeon, there was a, a conversation in Discord um, in VR. And I think, I don't remember if it was McKeon who actually started the conversation or was it John Sandridge? I believe it was uh, John Sandridge that actually started the conversation. Yeah, there was a, there was a discussion in Discord. Um, and John hit the nail on the head here, Sandridge did. You know what would be total eye candy for a CEO? A virtual tour of their own plant where they could see the dollar value of all the whip and finished goods as you walk around the plant and warehouse. As I walk through warehouses with racks of inventory with layers of dust, I often wonder how much money is just sitting there taking up space. So very, it was a, it was just a, it was a, 
harmless comment that turned into a great discussion. And John McKeon and John Sindrich have kind of taken the ball talking about how to make that a reality. What, what's interesting is this concept, that concept is really the concept for the fifth industrial revolution, which is like augmented reality, right? And augmented reality and virtual reality, well, augmented, the difference between augmented reality and virtual reality is augmented reality is technology overlaid overlaid on top of the real world. Basically technology interacting with the real world without touching it, right? So take your phone, turn the camera on, overlay on a piece of machine and augmented realities is, you know, may give you an exploded parts list of the motor you're looking at, that kind of thing. That's augmented reality. Virtual reality is a complete digital rendering of the real world, right? I believe that virtual reality is going to play a much bigger role than augmented reality is um, because augmented reality requires you to be present, um, requires you to be present in order to interact with it. There will be far more virtual employees um, managing a facility there and they're going to, it's going to require virtual reality for that. Where augmented reality, where we really see augmented reality uh, coming in is in the maintenance groups. So right now, what we already do is when we're supporting equipment that say the OEM is from Italy, the machine is installed in the United States, we already sort of use augmented reality to interact with that equipment. Um, we may wear a camera headset and walk around and the guy in Italy is using our eyes to view the equipment on the, on, on the plant floor, right? That's really common. What we don't have is where I'm wearing, and we've tested this with Google Glass and, you know, which Google, you know, decided to abandon, which I, I don't really understand why they made that decision because Google Glass had a ton of potential. And actually on the project that Zach and I did in 2013, whatever year that was, uh, we actually tested um, alarm lists in Google Glass uh, with Kyle Chase um, using Google Glass. And it was really, really cool to be able to see the alarm list, wear Google Glass, walk around and see the alarm list of the oil and gas SCADA system, that was sick. Uh, but Google abandoned it. And so anyway, I wanted to give a shout out to Sindrich and McKeon for you know, taking the ball and running with that conversation. Uh, Schultz, Dave, thank you uh, on the CMS, CMMS question. Um, that was in, uh, was that in digital transformation? Yes. So, uh, and I'll, I talk about this question later, but Lake asked, are there any CMMS or MES on the market, which are completely IAC 95 compliant? Um, nearly, I mean, nearly any MES system is going to leverage ISA 95. Otherwise they wouldn't even know where to start. So, um, I have never looked at an MES system that doesn't, that doesn't use ISA 95 for the master data model. Um, uh, that doesn't mean they're not out there. The only CMMS that I've seen that uses its master data model um, as an ISA 95 is the N4 EAM, which is why we use it. Um, I, you know, like Maximo and these, they don't, they have their own master data models. They, they have their own unique namespaces that they've organized their own way. They may start with a standard, but that standard isn't ISA 95, but they plan to take what they have and send it to an ISA 95 model. So, um, but I wanted to give Schultz a shout out because he answered a lot of questions related to 
um, ISA 95 in this thread under digital transformation. And I recommend everybody read, read this thread. Okay. Big thank you. And then the last one is Lily. I don't know if she's on, but we had a uh, Lily Maley. She's, um, she's the chief marketing officer for a company called Sightline. And Zach and I got to have a conversation with her last week. We had a, like a Zoom call talking about, you know, all things industrial marketing and, um, you know, digital media in the industrial space um, and security. Had an opportunity to talk about security. It was a great, it was a very revealing conversation. You guys may know, you know, Lily has posted some uh, white papers and um, links to some presentations that talk about, um, you know, security as it relates to the to IIoT. And anyway, we had a great conversation with her, and I wanted to say thanks for taking that time to meet with us. Um, frameworks, uh, the launch event for uh, the frameworks. Uh, what are we calling it? We're, frameworks University launch event is really three things. It's the industry keynote address, which will take about an hour, and I'll do that at the beginning. Um, the industry 4.0 keynote address. Uh, Factory Studio 9.1 presentation, Tatsoft is going to take about 30 minutes and go over. They're going to hit on the key points of Factory Studio version 9.1, the latest release. And then Zach is going to do a demo of Frameworks University because we're actually launching it that day. He's going to do a demo in the first module showing you guys how you're going to be interacting with the university to get your, your Frameworks credential. Um, and that is Thursday morning the 21st at 8 a.m. Central. Um, Zach, we're recording that presentation. Are we going to post it to YouTube? What are we doing with the... Yeah, so it'll be live, public, and it'll stay there once we're done. Cool. Um, all right, let's go straight into the questions. I already asked that, answered the first one for like... Um, I'm assuming that's how we pronounce his name. Um, you know, there are a lot of CMMS systems out there. Um, and, uh, but the N4 EAM is the one that uses the ISA 95 model out of the box. I, I haven't seen any others that use ISA 95 out of the box, um, primarily, and Dave Schultz talks about this in his response because CMMS is really centered around the asset, the machine itself, and doesn't really worry about how that asset fits in the rest of the organization, which is really what ISA 95 is all about. So, um, but Infor does use the ISA 95 standard for its master data model. Um, the next question, right. Abel. Are you looking at the Discord? Because the, the screen froze. Oh. There we go. I am not looking at the Discord. It was We were still looking at the Frameworks University launch page for some reason. Bear with us, oh, guys. Thank you. Well, the Frameworks University launch page is, is in my OneNote. Let me know if you see oh, the... Okay. Yeah, it didn't. You when you update it, when you change screens on your OneNote, it didn't update. Oh, okay. Can you see my screen now? No, I might need here. Let me let me share. We'll do that hack. Yes. So for those of you who use MacBooks, I'm gonna use a MacBook Pro, the Zoom app. Sometimes it doesn't allow you to share, so you need somebody else to share. Stop sharing, and then you can share again, and it'll work. Okay. It should be good now. A little life hack. Life hacks, yeah. <laughs> Their work. <laughs> it uh, for me, it says it has started sharing screen. Oh, you no. have to you have to share longer. Okay, okay. 
don't just share and then stop share. You got to, right. it's so got to drop. The, what we're looking at now is our analytics. 70, 70 people, 34 concurrent. I actually cool. love seeing you guys here. Welcome, Mario. Welcome, Michael. All right, so I'll stop sharing now. Is that long enough? That should definitely be long enough. I'm actually, you know, there we go. There it is. Bingo. Uh, all right. Um, so Abel in YouTube under the IoT, the data hub. So I'm going to, I think I got like eight questions to answer. I'm going to go fast. That way, if there are other questions, because we got to stop right at the top of the hour, because um, we got to end another meeting. Um, so Abel Padilla asked, I know it's small, but uh, he said, hi, where would a data historian fit into the IoT hub architecture? This question asks all the time. This is actually going to be the focus, I think, of the next digital mastermind. Um, would it be read reading data from the IoT hub instead of reading data directly from the PLCs? Thanks. You guys are doing great work explaining these concepts. I'm also going to touch on this next question because my answer, yeah, I'm going to answer these two at the same time. Um, so JS said, suppose one has a sufficiently large site to warrant a unified namespace and a broker on each site, each plant. How do you handle the federation of each site into a unified namespace? All right. So this will probably be the part of the meeting that you, the presentation you guys like the most, All right? Uh, or the most valuable. All right. Here, uh, here is an example. Um, I'm going to answer uh, JS's question first. When we use federated namespaces, unified namespaces, okay? There are times you will architect a unified namespace where everything is publishing and subscribing into the exact same broker. I may have a single broker in the middle, okay? Uh, that is my unified namespace. Now that broker, when I say broker, I don't mean MQTT broker. It can be an MQTT broker, but whatever your unified namespace is, it is a broker. Okay, if you're if we're using our minimum technical requirements, right? We're edge driven, report by exception, lightweight, open architecture. That means that you're going to need a broker in the center. It doesn't have to be an MQTT broker if you're not picking MQTT as your protocol. But say you're using DMP3, right? Whatever you use in the center. So if if I've got DMP3 publishing into a unified namespace, that's going to be a broker. The broker is designed. A broker. What a broker does is leave. It has the structure, it has the last value, it has all the events, and it stores a list of all the subscribers and the topics they're subscribing to. And the broker notifies all the subscribers when an event, when a value changes, okay? That's what a broker does. So whether I'm using DMP3 or whether I'm using, um, you know, um, M2M or whether I'm using MQTT or any of the other IIoT protocols, it, there's a broker in the middle. All right, NQTT is best suited and it's what we use in 99% of our use cases. So when you're architecting the solution, when you are architecting, with designing the architecture, you will make a decision on how you're initially gonna start, right? So you may decide, I, the organization may be so small that I only need a single broker and that broker and every node in the ecosystem is going to be able to subscribe and publish from one broker. The organization may be so big or for security reasons, you may decide to have a broker at each site. And the question that JS asked is, well, let's say I decide to put a broker at each site. What do I do with that? Um, how do I get that into a unified namespace for the whole enterprise? And the answer is what I would do, you're going to create a transmitter 
at the site broker that sends the entire namespace from that broker to a unified namespace, okay? So, and I'm gonna show you this here. So I have a site unified namespace, which is site A, okay? The group, the group is site A, okay? And, and I may set, and I, I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and publish all of site A to my enterprise broker. And I'm gonna say that the, that the take my group edge on uh, uh, my group edge and all my devices, and I want you to publish to this enterprise broker. So what I'm gonna end up with is a root node that has two unified namespaces underneath it. Everything from site A, everything from site B that gets transmitted whenever a value changes. That's how it works, okay? So anytime there's a, a value changes here, the transmitter fires and sends the update into the unified namespace. That's how it gets federated, okay? From here, you can create, you can have an, another instance of a broker that is an exact copy of this one, okay? I can either set up a broker that subscribes to this entire namespace, or I can set up a transmitter that pushes this entire namespace here, or I can set up my enterprise broker that you know under the hood, it has redundancy built in. So EMQ is a good example. EMQ allows you to create um, um, a virtual host name with, with, with load balanced brokers underneath it, okay? There are many ways to architect it, but the way that you federate it is this way. Now, this federation isn't limited to just site and enterprise. I could have a broker on every machine if I wanted to and do the exact same thing going up the chain, right? I, that is an option. And we and 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 uh, a really good example of this is I let's say I have five pieces of equipment that where three of them make subassemblies, one of them is an assembly machine and one is an inspection an inspection machine. It may be sixty cells total. You may decide architecturally that there is a need to put a broker in that group of machines. So they, this gr this group of five lines production lines needs its own broker. It's got its own unified namespace that you will then transmit to a higher level. It may go to an area, it may go to a plant, a site site level, it may go directly to the enterprise level. And the way you get it to where you want to go is by organizing your group edge device, your group edge device um, properties, if assuming you want to use Spark plug B. But the short answer is this is how you, you federate. The first, the other question was related to historian. And so what I did was I put this little chart together using that same federation below, okay? So this is an example of a unified namespace where I have my entire enterprise, my Acme company. And then I've got two plants, site A unified namespace here and site B down here, okay? And then you notice our ISA 95 structure, area, line, cell, edge. The edge is basically generally a device. It's all the stuff coming from the edge. And, um, and so what I've got here are two sensors coming from the PLC, okay? I've got a temperature sensor and I have a relative humidity sensor, okay? So the, these devices right here, these topics that are in the unified namespace, they could be one of the things that you could have and the way we generally do it is we have a namespace directly underneath the site, which is just all the raw events from the edge. It's just a raw, there's a 
uh, a topic for every PLC with all of the tags in it. And then we use expressions to move, to move those values into the, the namespace, um, you know, organize them correctly. Long-term, what's gonna happen is the PLC is gonna, if you're using an Opto 22 Groove Epic, for example, or a Siemens S7-1200, they can publish this temperature and, and relative humidity sensors directly into the edge directory. You're, you have the ability to do that, okay? So that they're just there. This is how a historian interacts with the unified namespace. The historian subscribes to temperature and it subscribes to relative humidity. And so the unified namespace is structure and events. It's all the structure plus any events on any of the tags, the values that change, right? So cell is not a, cell is a, because it doesn't have, if you don't publish a value to cell, then all that is is a folder, all right? Um, let me go here. I want to go back, make sure. Um, and that was one of the things you said that difference is about flat MQTT. There's no notion of a, like a folder without a value, right? Or something like that. Say that again. But yeah, yeah with flat MQTT, correct. Right. You don't have a, you, in, with, with MQTT 3.1.1, the flat, flat MQTT, you can't publish a folder. Sparkplug B allows you to publish a folder because oh. it is a, it's a topic with no value. In, in the way you that you can still uh, create folders in 3.1, but only by creating a topic within a note with under a hierarchy, which then correct. inherently creates the folder structure for you. But you can't you leave can't, a folder with nothing you, under it. You can't terminate with a folder. Got it. With Sparkplug B, you can. But and with that, in the use case, would be any number of applications. Um, hey, John Harrington, good to see you, dude. Um, all right. So, but, so, but here's how it works. I've got my unified namespace. The unified namespace is the structure of all my data. It's a single source of truth. And it's all the events, okay? The, my temperature value changes. My broker, my unified namespace, knows that the historian is a subscriber of that tag, that topic. So it notifies the historian this value has changed, okay? It says this topic has this new value. The historian's job is to then take that event and store it in time series. The way that we construct these systems, and we do this with Canary Labs Historian, generally we're using Canary, 99% of the time we're using Canary. Um, we will have the historian then publish back into the namespace um, alongside the temperature, the last hour data set of time series data. So what we end up with is a value changes on temperature, it, 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 the last value is stored in the namespace. It's there, it's retained, got a QoS of two. It's there, we know that it's there, okay? It, it, sent, it notifies all the subscribers of that value. And that value could be the historian, it could be also the SCADA system, that's what you see here, okay? So the, the broker notifies the historian that value's changed, the historian stores the data. It also notifies the SCADA system the value has changed and the SCADA system updates the value on the screen. One event, one change, multiple notifications to all subscribers. The SCADA system it now may be monitoring that unified namespace for alarms. So it may have an alarm on the temperature. We may have an alarm set point that's being managed inside the SCADA system. And what, what it's doing is publishing back any active alarms on that tag. 
into the namespace. It should also be publishing the set point, right? But anyway, this is how that works. The traditional way, that doesn't mean that you don't, you, you would never connect your historian directly to the SCADA system, right? So that doesn't mean that you would never use a connector between the SCADA system and the historian. Doesn't mean that. You may have a direct connection. Um, what it, but what it does mean is that any new data or information that either of those nodes creates, you, you have to be committed to making sure that data and information gets into the unified namespace. This is why Amazon doesn't let you email another department. That's right. This is why Amazon says that you're not allowed to email reports. You can't email anything to another department. They literally put in an administrative and engineering control that requires you to use the API to transmit the data. Just like the so, UNS. Just like the unified namespace. It's the same, the exact same reason, right? Um, uh, any recommendations on how to structure the Sparkplug B group edge node device? All right, this question comes up a lot. The answer to that question, Michael, is it depends on where in the namespace that, uh, that payload lives. So let's say that I, let's say that I, this is my um, device, okay, my unique device. I've got an edge device that's got temperature and relative humidity that lives in it, and I got to publish it. And what that means is, is that I am going to, I, I want to make sure that my edge gets underneath the cell, okay, whatever that cell name is. It could be the SAP identifier for that individual piece of equipment. What I have to do is structure my, I have to structure um, group, um, I got to structure my group edge device so that it gets in the right place. So my group would be the line, my, my uh, edge would be the cell, and my device would be whatever device has all the tags. However, let, that doesn't give me all my space. So my, what my group would be is this. Enterprise UNS forward slash site, A UNS forward slash area forward slash line. Or you may decide, that this is where the engineering comes in. You may decide that my group is going to be, uh, this is going to be the, this is going to be the group. That's going to be the root node. This is going to be the edge. And that's going to be the node. Hope that answers the question. Mike. My recommendations is, my recommendations are how you structure that is a function. Like, for example, if my edge, if this device contains topics from multiple nodes, then this is not going to be a single device if I want to write back to anything. Okay. Because remember, with Sparkplug B, the, the originating device owns, owns that path. And if you, if you have something else write into that path, it's going to write over everything that the device wrote over. The Sparkplug B packages everything together and sends it all as one topic, and then it gets deciphered on the other side. Flat MQTT, for example, if I've got, you know, um, enterprise site area, okay? If I use if I use flat MQTT, 
it's going to look like this site area. That's the that's the topic. And then I could just publish a value 100. And then what it's going to do is it'll look just like this equals 100. But if I have, say I've got um, line equals 300 and uh, area or uh, cell equals 400, say that that's what this looks like. I have two ways to do this, that, to publish all this. I could do enterprise site area. If I use flat MQTT, it's going to look like this. Line 300, and that, that's what, how I'm going to publish it using a, a, a publish command. But if I use Sparkplug B, what I'm going to do is, um, if I'm going to use Sparkplug B, what I'm going to do is package all of this into one JSON. It's going to be encrypted. I'm going to publish it to the broker, the bro, and then the and the Sparkplug B client is going to parse it to give you this. The problem is if you try to write now, let's say I add another value, which is going to be uh, test equals 500. And this is not packaged as a Sparkplug B payload. It's packaged as a flat MQTT payload. And I try to publish it. What's going to happen is it's going to write over all this other stuff. This stuff will just disappear. And this will be, and this flat one will just be there. You can't have, you can't have Sparkplug B and flat MQTT living together in the same area of the namespace. Okay, you can't do that. You can have it packaged differently in different areas of the namespace. Oh, absolutely. You can have oh Sparkplug B, flat, Dude, I just... four or five. You can I, have I, everything. Okay. So it's just, I originally thought you would want it to be structured all the same, but there may be reasons why you don't, right? Correct. So my thought this process is, was your entire so space is, is either one or the other, right? This but is when people saying, say, this is when people say, hey, aren't you like engineering out integration work? No, you're, what you're doing is you're focused, you're shifting your focus to architecture and solving other problems instead of just connecting equipment to SCADA systems, right? That's how, that's what's changing, right? Um, I, I don't want to get too far into the weeds here, but okay, but I, I want to make sure I answer this this question. The other thing is, is I want to show how, you know, where OE, how OEE lives alongside, how the MES namespace can live alongside all of this other data in the same unified namespace. All right. Uh, John Sullivan said, MQTT is just a wrapper. Contents is up to you for the need. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so what we, this, yeah. this is an example of how we put the OEE. So I, in, when I'm doing it, uh, OEE or MES, I have two areas of the namespace for OEE. One is called in, all the stuff that's in that we're consuming, the engine's consuming, and the out stuff. The out stuff is going to be things like what's the availability calculation? What is the quality? What's the performance? What's the actual OEE? What's the downtime data set? What's the list of all the downtime events? What's the downtime Pareto? Top five reasons. That all li lives inside the namespace. The MES system would subscribe to it to render it in a visualization. That this part of the namespace. The OEE engine subscribes to the in-feed count, OEE out-feed count, waste, and state so that it can calculate and publish back in this information here. All right. 
This is this is an example of a very common looking unified namespace, but obviously really stripped down. Your unified namespace gets into the idea that you have, I mean, we're talking millions and millions of topics. This is why the structure is so important. You've got to know where to go to get the data. I, if I go to an asset and so, you know, if you look at where CMMS lives alongside, a CMMS namespace looks like this, where it's right alongside the OEE namespace. It may have the asset ID. I may have the asset ID underneath the MES system, which is telling me, here's the asset ID that the MES system uses for this line. Here's the asset ID that the CMMS system uses for this production line. And we can aggregate them together, okay? All right, I'm running behind. Let me get to these other two. But this OEE in the example for which time grain or period or shift. Uh, Mario, I simplified it. What you would end up with is OEE daily, OEE shift, OEE production run. Um, that So underneath the OEE namespace, instead of having directly availability, you'll have, you know, shift calculation. You know, you'll have shift, you'll have production run. There you go. Yep. When I'm doing the examples, I, I try not to build the namespace that's got a million pieces of data in it. Okay. Um, uh, hi, all. Uh, this is from Marilyn. Um, I had a question during the mentorship call that I don't think we got to, so reposting here. When speaking to vendors, what are the best qualifying questions to figure out if their software has an open architecture? Specifically, does the use of MQTT or OPC protocols automatically mean their architecture is open. I'm fairly new to the concept and I'm better and I'm trying to better understand in order to decipher companies and ONGs such as Ambient. Okay. The answer to your question is it's complicated. What is open? All right. One of the standards, the question that we ask is, is there information about the health of your system, your node, that you expose over that open protocol? So I, I, I may write a piece of software that uses, and, and, I, and I allow my piece of software, I create an OPC server in my piece of software that may only serve five very specific data points inside my application, okay? And, and I, I, that server may only have access to five data points and may only serve those five data points. But I may have 100 million data points inside my application. And they may be critical to uh, they may be critical to to future machine learning um, ventures, et cetera. In that scenario, you're not open. What you are is closed with a connector that exposes very specific data, right? The open systems, open systems are designed to provide functionality specific capabilities, but expose what's under the hood to the rest, uh, to any other consumer, okay? That would be things like, um, you know, like a, an open device, like an open, um, an open sensor is gonna be something that uses a standard protocol to talk to other things and exposes all of the pertinent data that you would, you would care about related to that sensor, okay? Um, a sensor, a sensor that only uses a standard, um, you know, uses a, you know, heart, for example, to communicate just the value of that sensor. That's not an open sensor, right? That that 
we can get the value anyway, any way we want. What's open is when you, when you play nice with everything else in the ecosystem, that's, that's open. Okay. Um, that doesn't mean expose your intellectual property, but it does mean that you're exposing all of the pertinent data and information. For example, Rockwell is not open. They use MQTT, but they use MQTT as a pipe to share information between other Rockwell systems Rock or Rockwell partner systems. That's not open. They don't use MQTT to share it with everything else in the ecosystem. That's closed. Uh, bah, bah, bah. All right, any... Um, Liam said, I got a question regarding the installation of shop floor DMZs. Um, the DMZ is segregating the shop floor from the enterprise network using the Purdue model for ICS security. The concept and design can work for industry 3.0 plants where analytics is not a priority, but using this in a plant where you want to implement industry 4.0, where all devices can be seen and communicate, where you want to use AI machine learning for data analytics that reside, they can only work by opening up a lot of ports on the firewall which in the end defeats the purpose of the DMZ and the security that was designed for. My question for me is, any, uh, can you give any feedback? What's the best solution that you recommend to protect the shop floor network and its intellectual property using 4.0 technology? Very simple. Part of the reason that we use MQTT is because it's edge driven, okay? What you don't want is, you, if you, the best way to keep your IT departments happy is have no need to open inbound ports. The reason you use a DMZ, the only reason a DMZ exists is so that you can explicitly relay information up and down the network, okay? The, the, only, the Purdue security model was all about putting hurdles in the way of hackers. <laughs> that's all it really, that's all the, the idea was if you make it too hard to infiltrate, you know, too many hurdles to jump, then they'll probably say, I'm going to go focus on something that's easier to intrude on. And the problem sure. is those hurdles apply to your own team accessing the data that's for digital correct. transformation. What, what those, that, those security rules are barriers to digitally transforming. So what we do is we use technology where the nodes, well, all nodes, but especially the nodes that need to remain safe from intrusion, they can talk out, but nothing can talk into them. It, there's no inbound port open. And here, here's, how, here's how this works. I can, I can establish a connection between a PLC on the edge with only an outbound port open. So on my firewall, only the outbound port to the broker is open. The PLC can talk to the broker, but nothing else can talk in through that port to the PLC. The broker is allowed to communicate to the PLC over that connection that the PLC instantiated. So the PLC made the connection to the broker. The, because it's a stateful connection, the broker is allowed to respond over that connection. Okay, that's how it works. It's the second you show an IT department that there's nothing inbound open and they go and they look at their firewall list and there's no inbound port open. Like in OPC, you've got to open the inbound port in order to be able to talk to the PLC and pull to it. And by the way, if I open that port, any OPC server can talk to it unless I go ahead, unless I put in another layer that only allows specific IP addresses to, to 
talk to that part, right? The problem, the problem being, the problem being that, um, the problem being with that is that it's pull response. So that is, I'm requesting huge blocks of data, whether they've changed or not, I'm getting a response from that device to the OPC server. Hopefully I answered that question. Um, and then uh, McKeon responded also uh, back and forth. Um, all right, Mario asked the question, what do you usually do when you need to normalize analog and continuous? Uh, what do you usually do when you need to normalize analog continuous variable with digital ones? Or better saying with an example, if you were going to normalize per minute, the infeed and outfeed count of a machine with its machine state, how do you usually do that? The main point is states vary at any time. So you may have different states inside a given minute. Uh, while for counting, uh, you can simply sum. On the other hand, an infeed count of zero would usually be in pair with the state. That's not necessarily, uh, do you need? Okay, answer your, set, your question, Mario. Here's what we do. We, we capture counts and states all the time, no matter what. So every time a count increments, we store the delta into a table, okay? Um, so uh, let's say my previous infeed count was, or outfeed count on a machine was 100 units. The next time it updates, it was five units. And it, it may be that, you know, for every cycle, I'm producing five good units, right? What, what the way that we handle it in the unified namespace is we take a difference. So we've incremented five, we insert a count record that is five units were produced at, you know, insert record five at this timestamp. We also have a count type on that insert. And that count type could be production outfeed. It could be testing outfeed. It could be engineering outfeed. It could be uh, non-production outfeed. You, you have many types, uh, count types. We also store every state record. So every state record is every, the state changed what was the starting time? What's the rising edge of that state? And then you have an end time of that state that's, that's null. When the state changes the next time, you populate the null with the, the end time of that state, and then you insert the start time of the new state. You store every single one of those, and we generally store those in a database. What the, what the namespace is showing you is the aggregation at whatever interval. I, you know, I, show me counts per minute. And you do that on the database side with a stored procedure before you publish it back. Uh, so sending a recipe to the PLC does not require inbound ports. Uh, sending a recipe to the PLC. Well, sending a recipe to the PLC requires inbound ports if you're, if you're not sending it from the broker. Assuming, let's say it's an Opto22 Groove Epic, okay? A Groove Epic can can connect to a broker and it can subscribe to values in a broker. If it's subscribing, if it's subscribing to topics from a broker that it's connected to, there's no inbound port to the PLC open. But if you need to write a, a, a recipe to a PLC um, over a native protocol, um, then yeah, you're gonna have to have ports open in order to do that, in order to write, because the way those connections work, they're not stateful. Like that's not a permanent connection. It instantiates the connection, it sends a header, 
it publishes the value and then it closes the connection. But you could do it with MQTT without the ports. You could do it with MQTT without the report, without the ports open, as long as the PLC is the one that instantiates the outbound connection to the broker. Okay. Um, and, and then uh, Denton and uh, Mario and Ben chimed in on um, analog signals where there was a, um, Mar Mario, did I answer your question? I want to make sure I did. Because I really answered more the count question. I didn't really normalize analog. What I do, this question is related when you mentioned normalizing. Oh, yeah. Um, so for machine learning. Um, the answer is what we do is um, generally we break them into one seconds, one second. So what you'll do is you'll abstract, you'll take, so what the, for machine learning purposes, what we do is let's say the state started at, the state started at uh, um, uh, 12 o'clock, zero seconds. At 12 o'clock, 45 seconds, it, it started at zero. At 12 o'clock, 45 seconds, it became one. And it went from one all the way to, um, you know, 12 o'clock, uh, 12.05 and zero seconds. Uh, for machine learning purposes, what you what we're going to do is is put everything into one second buckets. He's saying a one minute database. We wouldn't do that for in at one minute though, for state. We might for count. We may do an aggregation on one minute, but for state we wouldn't. If we're using because state, then you're missing all your micro stops. Correct. If we're you, there you go. For, but for counts, we would. We would if we're so let's say we're only using counts. We, we would aggregate. We would probably do a, a mean ag over 60 seconds. Um, all right. We've got nine minutes. I, I think I answered all the questions. Uh, all right. Any other questions that I need to answer? Let me go to YouTube. Well, MES 4.0 be for ignition and frameworks. Yes. In fact, one of the very first things I ever did actually the first thing we ever did with factory studio was we converted our MES 4.0 from ignition to factory studio in one night. I did it like in six hours. Um, Michael Dowdell asked that question. Uh, I wanted to answer. There was a guy who asked a question in, uh, on YouTube. He asked if Cybus.io is considered a unified namespace um, gateway. I'll answer that in a second, Michael, the private LTE. Um, you can convert OPC UA tags to MQTT and publish to any endpoints. Um, so I have never heard of this, this Cybus.io. It looks like it's a brand new company. Um, I, uh, I took a look at them. I read their white paper. Um, it looks interesting. Um, so for those of you guys, um, it looks interesting. Um, I'm a little skeptical here. Um, it, 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 there's, there are some things here that are promising, but I, I, we're going to reach out to these guys and see if we can't demo their solution, but go ahead. And I would, if you guys, I would take a look at this cybus.io. Um, there's nothing on the website that really explains how this works. 
And whenever that happens, whenever there's no real explanation about how an IAOT solution works, and that the only way you're going to get any answers is to talk to some type of salesperson, that generally tells me that it's more proprietary than it is open. Solution-centered. Yeah, it's generally solution-centered, yes. Um, but it does look interesting. Um, uh, what I would do is there's a white paper they have here that you can sign up for. Uh, I was able to get it without having to sign up. Um, I hate, you know, I, when, whenever doing this and I get to give people my email that I end up with a gazillion emails that I never asked for. Um, but uh, one of the things that I noticed from the, their chief technical officer, he talks a lot about digitization and he almost seems to be using the term digitization and digital transformation interchangeably. And they're not the same thing. Digitization is like turning something from paper, like taking a thing, a specific thing and turning it into a, you know, a digital format, right? From a piece of paper, right? Or taking a manual process and automating it, that's digitization, right? Digital transformation is a strategy for changing the way you do business, right? So. Um, so I'm a little skeptical there. Uh, any thoughts about private LTE? Yeah, my thought on private LTE is that I have yet to see the real value in uh, private LTE. What's in private LTE? The in, in terms of the cost benefit, I think we should shoot a video on the whole on the whole subject. Honestly, what is private? Well, just a real quick thirty seconds. What is private LTE? Private LTE is non-public four uh, G. Oh, oh, so it's it's setting up your own radio network infrastructure, but using the LTE band. Correct. Okay. Yes. Now As you can also 900 megahertz or licensed for you can purchase that. You can, but you can also purchase as a service too. I like what I like what Tesla's doing is they literally just put up their own satellites and vertically integrated their own network infrastructure. So if AT and T or Sprint wanted to pull the plug on LTE or whatever, they're no longer relying upon it for Tesla vehicles to get over the air updates they could just leverage their own infrastructure. Uh, Stephen Egan asked, what MQTT broker would you recommend? I'm just starting out in IIoT. I've been looking at various providers and I can't seem to see which is the best. All right. Um, the answer to that question is, it's a function of the problem you're trying to solve. Okay, so um, there's really a kind of a hierarchy of MQTT brokers that you're really gonna go through, right? Everyone generally starts out with Mosquito, okay? Um, so you're going to start out with Mosquito running like on a Raspberry Pi right alongside Node-RED. The problem with Mosquito is that when you when you start Mosquito, Mosquito runs as a service with, and, and logs, in, logs to a terminal. So Mosquito doesn't really have any, you know, doesn't really have any really good built-in diagnostic tools, right? It's really good for like tinkering. So you start with Mosquito. And then the next step up, you're going to move to like HiveMQ or Ignition's distributor. Okay. I personally, if I don't, if I'm just testing, I generally will download a copy of Ignition, uh, add distributor, I'll run it in a virtual machine. And the only thing that I got running in Ignition is distributor. That's it. And I'm using it as my broker. Why? Because I can take, I can easily take the topic namespace and I can convert it, normalize it. I can manipulate it. I can visualize it. I, you know, I go that route. The second I need it to be longer term and I don't want to pay for the distributor license because this is not a like industrial production environment. Then I move to like HiveMQ will be the next broker that I'll use. I may take 
I may turn off the ignition broker, install HiveMQ, and then use HiveMQ uh, with MQTT Explorer as my diagnostic tool. The second I'm ready to go to the big time and we're going to do like enterprise class brokers, there are really two that you want to use. Number one is the Chariot SCADA broker from CirrusLink, um, which is, um, you know, Arlen Nipper owns. He's one of the, the owners of CirrusLink. He's one of the co-inventors of MQTT. It's a product that they sell. It's like enterprise class broker. Um, you can either, um, you know, you can either purchase it as a license or you can purchase the server that it's running on and they ship it to you and it's all configured. And But the one that we've been using the most lately is EMQ Enterprise, uh, EMQ. Um, and we think that that's, that's gonna be our, our long-term broker at the enterprise level. Um, if I'm doing a factory studio project or I'm doing an ignition project, in either of those cases, I'm starting with the brokers that come packaged uh, with each of them. So that, that's your answer there. Uh, the, if you're, let's say, Stephen, if you're just brand new with brokers, the simplest broker to get started with is probably, uh, UNS Mosquito. gateway, probably UNS gateway. Um, or, well, I mean, if you have an, if really you're going to be, existing I mean, OPC the truth is the intelligence hub, iBytes intelligence hub is going to yeah. be the easiest broker to use. Um, the, I mean, that's going to be the easiest one. I mean, Wait, when so you think when about you install it, Highbyte, does it include the broker or do you connect Highbyte to a HiveMQ broker? Thank you, Dan. Appreciate it. We're dropping okay. off here in one minute. Um, appreciate you guys. Um, we say it again. Um, when you install Highbyte, does it install the broker with it? Or I don't know. Omar, you... hey, Omar, if you're still on the meeting, can you answer whether the broker is ready or in the intelligence hub? Oh. Or are you guys still just publishing over MQTT? That would be cool. He was on earlier. Okay. That would be, yeah. That was, so that was a question I had. If you install it, does it, does it include the broker with it, which would be really easy to get started? You know, and, well, is Harrington still on? John Harrington? He was on earlier. I think everyone, people are dropping off because we're, we got to get off here, but. Uh, okay. All right. I got, I got, we got to jump on this other meeting. Appreciate everybody. Uh, hey, do me a favor, follow up with Omar and John on the broker question. There we go. Do. High bite does not include the broker today. It's in their roadmap. I think. Uh, um, okay, cool guys. Appreciate it. Yeah. It's uh, we're evaluating this now. It, I saw it was in the roadmap when they did the roadmap review, like in November. Mm. So appreciate you guys. Uh, See you guys we'll uh, you Thursday. Thursday for the launch. Appreciate it. Bye. Yeah.